Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And as always, I want to extend a heartfelt greeting to my congregation uh, that is based here in Dallas and also to uh, the many, many family members within the Saints Network who are joining with us uh, across the world. What a great day it is to be serving our God, and uh, I am I'm so grateful for the privilege of, of being able to spend times like this with you, to, um, to share the Word of God, and to, uh, to discover what meat he is, uh, he's bringing to us. And uh, I am so very grateful on this Veterans Day to have the privilege of doing this. Uh, I had the privilege of being with um, my wife and oldest daughter and our granddaughters at their school today because they had a, a chapel service that honored the United States and honored the veterans that were uh, parents, grandparents, uncles, uh, great-grandparents of the kids that were in the school. It was a very moving time to see those little kids singing uh, anthems about God blessing America and seeing uh, the men. uh, They were all men. There could be women in service too, but this today, it was just men who went up as the theme songs for the various branches of the military were were, uh, played. And um, it, 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 was, it was a real wonderful blessing. Uh, I, I think that we as Americans need to recognize the blessing that God has given us and not let anyone rewrite it or take it away. Uh, we had, we've had a lot of uh, conflicts over the years and a lot of growing and a lot of things that we have... Uh, labored together to right when there have been wrongs. But still, this is a country that God has blessed, and this is a country that is um, is ordained by God to serve a significant role here in the times of the end. And um, it's, a different, it's a different day than, than older days. I, I saw a couple of older men. And for me, somebody that's older is older, who obviously served in in either the Korean War, and I think one of the old gentlemen served in World War II. And those those guys and women are fewer and fewer as the years go by. I I think back on my father who who worked in Philadelphia in in World War II and, and in the late 30s. Um, first working on Lend-Lease ships for England and then doing repairs and um, constructing um, different types of um, watercraft that our Navy used. And for he didn't have to go overseas to serve. He wasn't in the military, but he was serving. Now, one of my uncles was a a uh, a bomber pilot serving in in Europe and he I don't know how many missions he and his wing flew over over Europe to defeat the Nazis and then he participated in the Berlin airlift and he eventually met a a young woman from Germany who was displaced and married her and they they lived the rest of their life in uh in New Mexico, in Las Cruces, and they, uh, he was uh, a, a colonel in the Air Force at that base there. Another one of my uncles, my father's youngest brother, was also a colonel in the Air Force. He trained astronauts out of Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And, um, and uh, you know, those days are precious for our country's history, but they're gone. We're in a different day now. And um, this 
causes the mission that we have as saints to um, to really have to gain a, a fresh focus. What is God doing? Where are we in the the time frame of the Lord? How best can we serve? And uh, you know, those days, uh, the greatest generation, World War II, and the times leading from that, uh, those were those were challenging days. But I believe we face different kinds of challenges, many challenges from within and other very distinct challenges from enemy forces that are bent on destroying us. And then plus you add in the demonic realm that feels that it is their time to take the kingdom, those days prophesied by Daniel. So we have to be grateful for where we are as Americans and I, I just want to say a word of thanks to all of our Saints Network family, those of you who served in various branches of the military, uh, those of you who were spouses of those who served in the military. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, I, di- I didn't mention my father-in-law who was in World War II based in, in India. And um, that that was an interesting thing to hear him talk about what what happened there in that theater of operation you know we often focus on um, on the european theater and the pacific theater but we don't often talk about what what went on there in in india in in the uh the uh, south of the himalayas going into china uh where the japanese were so prominently abusive so god bless all of our veterans, and um, God bless the United States. We certainly need it. Now, today, we want to focus on a passage of Scripture that we touched on yesterday at Saints Radio, and it was um, it was a really unique conversation that we had. Um, if you haven't heard it, it might be interesting for you to hear that. I do also want to remind you that this coming Friday, we have another episode of Seasons where we're talking about the rest of the Lord. That's going to air at 9 o'clock Central Time here in the United States. But here in Romans 5, we, we really have a powerful outlay of what it means to be a, a warrior for God. And let's read the first five verses of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, let's talk about those two verses because... This really sets the stage of where we actually should be abiding, our foundation, as it were. We enter into righteous partnership with God at the right hand of God, gaining a, uh, a measure of partnership in God's eternal plan and in his evolving um, manifestations of his plan. And it's, it's before God, but it's through what our Lord Jesus Christ did. And so we have access to that right hand of God and that fellowship and that commune with God and, and to the grace that is commissioned, communicated and commissioned at the throne of God. And so we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We we gain a standing through the power of the cross, and we, um, we rejoice in that seed of faith that God plants in us that allows us to partner with him in his glory. Now, those two things, those two verses, basically speak about the dynamic of what Jesus makes available to all of us as saints. And you you see these highlighted words, righteousness, faith at the right hand, 
the concept of peace, um, the the measure of at the right hand of God, you were welcomed into the the throne the throne of grace, and you gain histeme measures of assignment, and you gain that seed of faith birthed from the heart of God, which is what hope is, and a partnership in His glory, ongoing from glory to glory that comes from God the Father. This is what Jesus made available to us. And when he triumphed and he took his place at the right hand of the Father and he made a way for us to know our Father, to be redeemed to our Father. Now we understand this as intercessors. We talk about the various facets of what each of those concepts as mean as they intertwine together in the service of our Father. But it's the next couple of verses that talk about what really happens when we begin to apply this in our walk. And so it says in verse 3, not only so, well, and and that phrase really means on the basis of this that's not a conclusion it's really a beginning but we glory in tribulations so the glory path the path of partnering with god representing him on something that he's doing now that he ordained to do now that perhaps has not been done before but according to God's timetable, it's time for it to be accomplished. Now, sometimes the glory of God is a revolutionary new thing in a new place, and other times it's an extension from glory to glory as we're changed. You're building up, as it were, the, the temple of God, or you're, you are perhaps you engaged in a tab- tabernacle assignment, and then you begin to welcome God into a temple environment. That, that is different dimensions of the glory of God, but they're built upon one another. And those are two facets of the glory, and we've got to keep being changed. We're changed from glory to glory. And we've got to keep on being willing to be, as we talked about on Sunday, as that little child who wants to be in the very midst with Jesus and who wants to do whatever is necessary to be converted so that we can move forward with him. But let's look at the first dimension of how the glory is manifested and how it develops, how it unfolds. It begins with something called tribulations. Now, tribulations can mean a couple of prominent things to most Christians. One is, of course, any person who studied or heard the messages about the second coming and the great tribulation. You think about tribulation in that way. Or tribulation could be just about anything that you're dealing with. It, it, you know, it's, it's one of those terms that can be defined by whatever somebody wants to define it as. And um, and it, it's really sad in a way because tribulation can be a job you don't like. Tribulation can be a spouse you're not getting along with. Tribulation can be some kind of physical malady that's attacking. Or it can be a, a type of circumstance that is not, <coughs> excuse me, favorable to you. Tribulation in in the modern definition just in the koine of the people, can mean just about anything. But spiritually, when you're operating on behalf of the glory of God, you have to look at tribulation for what it is. And tribulation really means to be pressed upon. It means to feel a circumference that is restrictive. It, in its definition, it's very similar to what we have talked about in regard to travail or in the Old Testament, what we talked about in the description, the definition of the name Sarah 
Abram's wife's first name before God changed it into a conqueror. And um, I think that the, the concept of Sarah, for all who walk in faith, the concept of travail to birthing, and the concept of tribulation is something that every Christian must face because it seems to be the parameter by which God really moves. And it's what miracles um, uh, blossom from. And I think that when most Christians encounter a biblically uh, a, a spiritually uh, birthed pathway and they encounter tribulation, the first thing they think is something is wrong. Or they look for verses that they can claim that will get them out of that. Or they will rebuke and bind and they'll get a prayer chain to try to break that thing. And you're basically saying, as much as I can understand those feelings, that you want to abandon or abort the prospect of the glory that has been entrusted to you. It's not, now, it's not like we go looking for uh, irritating circumstances so we can brag about how, how holy we are. There's lots of people like that. Have you ever met anybody like that? I well, we don't see them that much now. We don't see them in the Saints Network. But when I was growing up, there were always people around in the church who would talk about nobody knows the trouble I've seen, and and they would just regale it as if it was some kind of a um, a crown, and and how great they were for enduring it, and and it there was no. There was no real, and I, I, as a kid sitting in church with very innocent and objective eyes, I would just kind of think, oh, there goes that guy again. All he's going to do is talk about all the problems he has and how it was God that brought him there, and he was just going to live through it for the glory of God. Well, you, you know, you, you must know the difference between problems that you can believe God is going to remove and the the true measure of tribulation, which is when you're partnering with God in that valley, in that narrowed place, and you have that table set before you in the presence of your enemies, which is a restricting force. Um, there's a difference between those two realities. And you, you really have to recognize the, that difference if you're going to triumph. Because if you, are, if you are not pressing through or if you're cursing the place that God has given you and you keep bellyaching to him because uh, you don't understand why you, you have to face this, when God is wanting you to overcome, you're not doing anybody any good. But on the other hand, if if you um, if you just consider everything to be a tribulation, then you're you're almost defeated from the from the jump. So tribulation is literally a narrowing place. And it is, um, that, that's truly what it means. And it, it's pressing in. And again, it is absolutely similar to the concept of what Abram and Sarah dealt with in the meaning of her name and what that then entailed through the Old Testament to talk about the enemies, what that entailed through the Old Testament in talking about producing the, the fruit of the vine, and the other things that we've talked about uh, in our studies recently. So tribulation in conjunction with the setting of verses 1 and 2 
is something that we don't just go out looking for. Believe me, when you take a stand according to righteousness, according to faith, according to hope, on behalf of the grace of God to partner in his glory, it's not going to be long before you begin to recognize the parameters of the valley that that promise has led you in. But the key to walking through the valley is to know that the Lord is with you. You are there on behalf of the promise. Uh, You should not fear and you should look for the table of blessing. The tri- true biblical tribulation should be filled with God's presence and his blessing. And you're blessed in the midst of challenges, which is one of the ways that the Apostle Paul said, I have learned to glory in my points of infirmity or Astaneus, the, the places where God has assigned me to welcome life and vitality, because I know that when I am weak, when I am experiencing the, the challenges of that weakness, he is made strong. Now, it's, it's, it's a challenging thing sometimes to recognize what actually goes on in in an histeme point through the power of the cross that Jesus has paid for by his blood and by his sacrifice sometimes you're go- the bible says that you're going to be resisted in that histeme by that histeme anthisteme you know withstand you're going to have to withstand when the enemy comes we've studied about that and you the way you do that is you remember what you are in God you remember what God has called you to represent and you don't begin to become like that prevailing spirit that you're supposed to be defeating and we've seen you know like Demas of old who poured his agape out into the present world and forsook Paul and forsook what um, what Paul was supposed to be doing and what Demas was supposed to be fulfilling. Uh, we, we've seen histemis in our country, and we, we know. I mean, if you, you just think, you just think about it. If you were to consider what goes on a lot in California, you could, you could pretty well determine just by what we know as Americans what the histemi of the enemy, what, what God's histemi is and how the enemy has perverted it and how people can become pickled or inoculated or um, like Lot was to where he became more like a citizen, even though he's called righteous Lot, he became more like a citizen of Sodom than Abram's seed or Abram's family. How do you know that? Well, just take a good look at what he said and what he did. I mean, what kind of a man would say, here, take my daughter, please. You know, what what would say, take my daughters, do what you want with them? Who would do that? I would die before I did that. I would die before I did that with my granddaughters. You have to have some measure of perversion to even consider doing that. And a lot seem to do it at the drop of a, of a sandal. Now, I'm not criticizing him, but what I'm saying is sitting the, in the gate of that city didn't do him any favors. And those daughters were as wild as the, the wife didn't want to leave there. She was obviously in love with the city. And the daughters, what they did after... He, uh, he, and and they uh, escaped. They weren't very noble in what they did. So I think the Hestemi kind of twisted him because maybe he, he became more like what the enemy wanted to do in that Hestemi than what he was supposed to be doing in righteousness. You look at different parts of our country, and you think. You who are assigned there, you better be really devoted to what God says and don't drink the Kool-Aid there. 
because you'll start being more like the world than you are the God who is wanting to redeem that. So dealing in the midst of tribulation or in the place where God has assigned you is um, knowing that you're going to feel surrounded. That's the definition of the term. Knowing that you may be pressed in upon, but yet recognizing that this is only for a season. Uh, God's watching the season. You're not. But as far as the time frame, but God's going to do a greater work than what you what you recognize. And you're going to turn that valley of weeping into a well of blessing. So um, tribulation is there. Um, we glory in tribulations. Uh, in other words, the glory of God is invested into tribulation. And uh, that it's a pressing upon. Now, again, that doesn't mean you're beat down and sick and overwhelmed and just, oh, woe is me, gloom, despair. You know, we rejoice, as Paul said, I, I'm because God's strength will be known. We rejoice because God is there with us. We rejoice because there's a table for us there. We are blessed. We are blessed. But it's still going to feel restrictive until the breakthrough comes. That's a Peretz Peretz standing in the gap and then knowing the breakthrough. See, that concept is throughout the scripture. So the glory is going to be planted in the midst of a narrow place of God's choosing, and that's tribulation. So what does tribulation do? Tribulation is going to work patience. Patience, hupomeno, is I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay firmly planted where God has assigned me to stand. I am going to do that. I'm not going anywhere. I am committed in patience. And I'm going to bide the timing of the Lord. And I'm going to welcome his kingdom. And I'm going to pray. And, um, and I'm going to believe. And I'm going to be faithful. This is what we do with patience. But then, and this is quite interesting, tribulation works your willingness to stand where God has planted you and to abide there with him. But patience, if you, if you stay with the same flow, tribulation works patience and patience experience, or it should mean then, in the context, patience works experience, or patience develops experience. The setting of tribulation works and develops patience, where you abide where God has called you. That abiding place works experience. Now, what is experience? Now, experience for us means some measure of knowledge or skill set or understanding that we gain through doing something. And very often experience um, is not always a one-off. You know, you, you learn more from failure than you do from success. Because when you fail the first time, you, you, if you're paying attention at all and not a quitter, you think, well, I, I've learned not to do this. And that's valuable information, especially if you've got to teach somebody else whose first inclination is to do that. If you just win right off the bat all the time, you're not going to be able to really teach anybody. You know, the, the baseball great Ted Williams the splendid splinter of the Boston Red Sox. Um, he was such a good hitter. He became the manager of uh, 
I remember the Texas Rangers baseball team. He was the manager here for a little while. The problem was that he he could not really teach hitters. He could, he could not teach hitters. Why? Because he was so good at it. He he just saw the ball, and he was trying to tell guys to do something, and they didn't have the skill set that he had. So he didn't he didn't have to develop a lot of the skills in working to be a good hitter even though he was an excellent hitter because he didn't fail that often you know he does that make sense so you know it's like edison who with light bulbs he he was trying to get the filaments to work properly and he, he I I don't remember how many 90 some times I think they he and his team failed and um and uh someone asked him a reporter asked him about it and he said well these weren't failures we learned 90 whatever times uh how not to do it and that's valuable but experience in this passage means to overcome to be validated to be tested it was used in the ancient world to speak about coins that had been examined and approved uh it it spoke about people who uh in ancient greece were being nominated for the ecclesia and they had to be examined and approved for public office um it's it was something that said this thing or this person has been subjected to scrutiny and they have been found as exemplary or an example of what to do so Tribulation, the place where we're called to stand, uh, the assignment we're called to endure and overcome in, will work the place where we are called to abide. Will you stand there or will you run away? And as you stand there, that works this testing and this approving and this overcoming. Now, this is a this is a very interesting thing because experience here is this um, declension of this word uh, is is only used a few times in the New Testament, and it denotes someone or something that has overcome. The root word of it throughout the New Testament and used many times is about the process of how to overcome. So this in Romans 5 is speaking about the completed project and the the result of it, something that had been proven. And, you know, Paul uses this. He talks about somebody that he was recommending in ministry and we have sho- chose we have showed this person to be reliable and as a, a devoted son to me or we have we have uh, shown ourselves to be a church of saints because we have committed ourselves to help in this area and we've proven that we're not only willing to do it that we not only say we'll do it but we do it so it is the fait accompli as it were in um in what in what this what what this overcoming would entail however the root word is used in many many unique places in the new testament like in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 13 you find that on the day of judgment god is going to be evaluating what we do in the midst of the uh, the testings and the tryings. You see, so often we think that tests, in the general church, we think that tests and trials are just to see how strong we are or if we're willing to be a person of integrity or 
if we're going to honor the word. Those things are true. But at some point, you got to stop just viewing things subjectively and commit yourself to not just being a person, but being a son and a servant. So if all you talk about was, you know, you know, I was down there on the corner of, of Liberty Avenue and, and uh, Fifth, and I saw, I saw a woman, and uh, I, I thought, oh, she sure is pretty. And then I, then I stopped myself. Because I remembered that old hymn by Randy Travis. On the, on the one hand, I saw my eye saw something that was attractive. But on the other hand, there was a golden band. And I remembered my wife. And, and I, I overcame that temptation. Well, you should. But that's, what does that do for the kingdom? <laughs> really? I mean, all that showed was that you got, you got feelings in you that you still got to work on. It doesn't really do anything for the glory of God. I mean, it, really, what are you accomplishing for the kingdom with that? Or, you know, I was driving along and I passed a liquor store. And I thought, man, I'd like to go in there and get me a bottle of Jack Daniels and just Whiskey River, take my mind the Willie Nelson hymn. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to take that money that I would spend on that bottle of liquor and I'm going to go and buy food for my family. See what a great person I am. What How I overcame that test. Well, praise God, you did what you were supposed to do, but what did that do for the kingdom? Other than preserve it from a from a black eye. So we've got to we've got to recognize that the things that God yeah, God's gonna judge the things that I was just kind of uh um colloquially speaking about. Uh he's gonna judge those. But the day of judgment, first Corinthians three thirteen, is gonna be talking about this measure of whether you are really being what God has called you to be in the field of experience, in the middle, in the seal of moment of your assignment from the throne of grace. James 1.12 speaks about how if we, if we successfully participate in this process, we'll gain a crown of life. And one verse that I want us to, to look at, which is, Really, a fascinating twist on this is First John chapter four, verse one, and here is a famous passage about trying the spirits. We all know this. We all know this verse um, very well. First John four one, beloved, believe not every spirit. But try, there's our word, the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, we've heard this over and over again. You know, I was in in the night, I was in prayer, and there was an enemy force that came, and I didn't know, it was kind of confusing, is this an angel or is it the an enemy? And I said, has Jesus come in the flesh? We wave that around like it's a talisman of some sort. But let's look at what, what now, and, and to a large degree, that is true, but that is not the essence of how you deal with the Antichrist. The essence of it is don't be blown about by every wind. There are false prophets out there that are saying things that are engendering wicked spirits and spirits of humans and spirits of the world. But So don't, don't commit your faith to it, but try them. And there's our word. How do you try the spirit? How do you try 
the false prophets? And how do you try the Antichrist? How do you try them based upon this word that we've been talking about, which is the end result is what experience is? Well, you have to view it from this point. If from the throne of God you are being given an assignment to partner with his glory and grace, and you are in the middle of a challenging assignment, a place where there are pressings upon, one of the things that will probably press upon you are the prevailing viewpoints of the spirits, wicked and human, in that histeme, in the land like Elamis the sorcerer, or Simon the sorcerer, or others that were were in the scripture, the uh, the the those that were uh, shamans in the court of Pharaoh who contested with Moses, Janus and Jambres. You know, don't just go off and follow or go on a wild goose chase with these beings or start listening to them. The key point is, try them. View them through the place and the assignment which God has given you that they want to eradicate. They want you to abandon that calling. And haven't we seen this? We've seen people who we labored with, who were given giftings, and they went into an environment And uh, God forbid, pretty soon they surrendered to that environment. And they abandoned the place that God has called them to serve and what he wanted to do. And they're now more spokesmen, more a spokesman for false prophets and spirits of the land than they are of the God who assigned them to that point to where they would overcome. And here is then how you judge that spirit. Has Christ come in the flesh? What does that mean in regard to trying spirits, trying false prophets, trying antichrist spirits? Well, it means Jesus came in the flesh. He came from the courts of heaven and humbled himself and stood to do the will of the Father where God called him to serve, here on this earth. He said, I've come to do the will of the one that sent me. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. This is where Jesus came to die on behalf of the will of the Father. And that, that is why you say to these spirits and you say to these false prophets, Did Jesus come in the flesh? Because that's what you are supposed to be doing in that point of experience, that point of trial. Those false spirits are trying to get you to abandon that calling and to become like them or to become like the people around you or to become like those the way those dark spirits have corrupted that hystemi place, that deposit of the glory. So it's not some talisman or some, you know, you whip the the cross and the necklace out and wave it in front of Dracula and he'll run away. It's are you trying the spirit? You know, some people have tried the spirit. They've just taken a big gulp of that spirit and they become like it. where you can't tell them from the world, even though they say they're still Christians. But if you try the Spirit, you are really engaged in this process of testing which tribulation and patience works. Does that make sense? So we we don't often view the key point of this verse. We just skip right ahead to say, has Jesus come in the flesh? But if you try the Spirit, that is saying, God from his throne has sent me. I am standing here in this narrow place, abiding in patience where God has called me to stand. And I am going to overcome in this thing. 
That's the trying. That's the, it's not give it the old college try. This is the trying of your faith, which is more precious than gold. Does that make sense? Which is why then you could say, has Christ come in the flesh? Because even in our world today, there are false prophets. There are antichrist spirits that are openly saying in churches across America that Jesus did not come in the flesh. He was just, like the Muslims say, a good prophet. But there are many prophets. There are many gods. And he's really just one of many. E pluribusunum in the spirit realm. And so, you know, come on over. And, you know, these churches believe that. It's Antichrist. It's designed to keep people from becoming sons, receiving a commission from the Father, and and going forth in that anointing, which is what you are supposed to be if you are Christian or Christ-like. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ. Christ says that Jesus, this deliverer in the flesh, has become someone sent as God from the throne of God to fulfill the will of God. And as a son, he moved in the anointing on behalf of what God's purpose was. This is totally different from what false prophets say. It's totally different than what an Antichrist influence says. It's totally different from what the spirits of this world and of the demonic say. So you must try them. How do you try them? It doesn't mean you experiment with them. It means that you stand faithfully and you overcome them, which again is what puts teeth into, has Christ come in the flesh? Amen? Verse 4 of 1 John 4 says, You are of God, uh, little children, and have overcome them. There's the link with try. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He that knows God hears us. He that is not of God will not hear us. And therefore we know the true spirit of truth from the spirit of error. Isn't that what this world isn't it describing this world right now? Oh, what's your truth? You should be saying, what's your error? Oh, I don't want to hear anymore. I, I, want to, I want to experiment all these other things. Well, because they're not functioning on behalf of the Father anymore. <laughs> That's what the Scripture says here. So, this is one of the most unique verses that speaks about your trial or your testing. And when you overcome that through patience in the midst of tribulation, on behalf of the glory and the grace that God has given you from the throne, you gain experience. And what does experience, which is overcoming in this test or trial, do? Well, the Bible says that it works hope. Now, hope again, elpis, is that seed of faith that was granted to you at the throne from the heart of God. And you launch off on behalf of that, and the end result is that all of this process shows the validity of the promise of God in that seed of faith, which is hope. Isn't that lovely? It doesn't stop there. It goes on to say that hope does not make us ashamed. You're, you're, going to, you're going to overcome. You're going to overcome. Whatever God put in your heart, he is faithful. He that has begun a good work in you is faithful to fulfill it. Hope does not make ashamed. Because the agape of God 
is shed abroad in our hearts. We talked yesterday about how shed abroad here is used to describe the pouring out of an offering, the pouring out of an oblation, the pouring out of the water when Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that thirst. Um, it is it is an offering that is the agape is poured out. It is the lifeblood of this process. Our devotion. What is agape? Agape is to breathe hard after God. It is to breathe hard after His purpose. That's what agape is. And remember the study we did where we saw the Hebrew word that that was taken from and. How in in the Old Testament that meant to breathe hard after something, and the majority of the times that it was used, it was negative, to where the people either did this for the demonic, or would not complete it. You are a remnant if you are really functioning in agape, and you through this whole process have to keep pouring out that offering. Now, this again reminds me of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians when he said, Now abides faith, hope, and agape. The greatest of these is agape. It's this process that we just saw in Romans 5. Faith is where we are at the right hand of God, where we're commissioned as sons at that right hand with Jesus, where we are receiving the assignment of grace, where God impacts us with the burden, the seed of faith which is hope. And then faith yields hope. And we, we walk that through. Hope is not ashamed. And the, and the end result of the process is that hope, that seed, is fulfilled. And agape. But the greatest, the one that spreads out over all of it, is agape. You're pouring that out. You And how do you keep moving in the agape? You spend time with God. You remember him. You remember that he's promised. You remember that he's with you. You remember that you're in the world but not of the world. You don't give that up. You don't be as Demas who loved agape this present world and abandoned purpose and abandoned Paul. You don't do that. So here is this wonderful treatise, and um, the Holy Ghost, the saintly wind, the assignment of the saints, um, helps us to pour this out. He guides us through this truth. He guides us into what God is wanting to restore, what God is wanting to do, and it's given to us. And um, then the example of how Christ did this is spoken from verse 6 on. He is our example He's the one that's with us. So, experience. Experience. That's the title of this message. And, yeah, we gain maturity through our overcomings. And we do learn. We gain knowledge from the assignments that we have been involved in. And we are able to pass that on in making disciples and in counseling in the Spirit. But here, experience means a bit more than that. It means enduring the process and overcoming this rare derivation, not used often, of this word that is used often, this rare derivation of someone that has overcome, someone that has triumphed in this process. And the process that we talked about from 1 John 4 and and, uh, and in so many other places in the New Testament is what we have to live. But you cannot remove that process from the place of your abiding. Patience is the first sign of the apostolic. You got to you got to know God has sent me this tribulation this pressing point is is where I've been sent God has sent me and I'm going to remain here faithful I'm not going to be skittish run off I'm not going to I'm not going to become a rogue double agent I'm not going to become 
in, I'm not going to become of the world. I'm going to be in the world, but not of it. You, you overcome here. So, and that's what experience is. So, tribulation is going to work the place of your abiding. The place of your abiding is going to give you many opportunities to be tested and to overcome. And the end result of it is that you are going to be able to say what God began in that seed of faith, which is hope, which is the anchor of my soul. I'm not ashamed because it is what God gave me and he's faithful. He did exactly what he said he would do. Maybe not in the way I thought he would. Maybe not in the timing I thought he would. But when it all was said and done, it was better than I even imagined. And the Holy Ghost, that mission of the Spirit, which God gave at Pentecost, that dimension of the seven spirits, which, um, which is focused upon restoring what God has intended to do from the foundation of the world, uh, even before the foundation of the world, he helps to cause us to pour out our agape as an offering throughout all. The Holy Ghost shed abroad this. And it's, it's a wonderful passage of, uh, uh, of an entailing of what our relationship with God is. So, where are you right now? now I believe that in so many ways we are emerging from a season of trial. God is transitioning us in, from glory to glory. In some ways, we are going to be doing brand new things built upon what God has taught us to do, but we're also going to be seeing things that have been established as they developed, and we give glory to the Lord, and we, we rejoice in Him. But it's this process. You cannot abrogate this process. You cannot avoid it. You cannot conveniently say that it doesn't exist or that there's some other process. This is what God does. This is what Jesus did. And this is what we must do. So I speak encouragement to all of you. Every one of us has unique capabilities, unique dimensions of gifting. And because of that, each one of us is being tested in a similar way, but in different ways. And I pray that God will encourage you and affirm you where you are. And I, I declare over you that you are more than a conqueror, that you are not forgotten, you're not abandoned, God is with you, and there is breakthrough ahead. You've been faithful, and you are an overcomer. So hold fast, and don't give up. Don't abandon your calling. And um, this wonderful passage of Scripture is a word from God for us today. Well, God bless all of you. Be encouraged. The Lord loves you. Uh, we look forward to uh, being able to reach out to you again on Friday morning, again, 9 o'clock Dallas time, for probably the finale of this particular episode of Seasons. And um, if you can't hear it live, you can hear it again on, uh, on the website in archive. You can hear it in the other places where we post this, whether it's Facebook or Spotify. But um, take advantage of that. It's, it's, a good, it's a good piece of meat in studying the Word and how God is moving. God bless you all. We, we miss being with so many of you in the natural, but we're with you in spirit. 
and we look forward to the day when we'll all be able to see each other again in Europe and in Africa and South America and India and in other places where God is going to be opening up. Till next time, God bless and goodbye.